If you enjoy Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there is an amazing resource at your fingertips full of great videos and full of technique thoughtfully explained. The website's tfsjujitsu.com. Now, this website features tons of videos that help break down various techniques and help explain step-by-step on how to get you there. With gi and no-gi instructionals, it has something for everybody who enjoys BJJ. This website has been meticulously put together by Team Balance Black Belt, Ben Tallini. And his focus was to build a website where people felt confident in the information they were getting. TFSJujitsu.com is full of videos of various positions, submissions, takedowns, and more. One of my favorite things about the website is Ben invites other instructors to share their favorite techniques and break them down into bite-sized pieces. So, listen, it's a great website. I think you guys are going to enjoy it, especially if you enjoy Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Make sure you check them out at TFSJujitsu.com. That's T-F-S-J-I-U-J-I-T-S-U.com. Welcome to the very first episode of the CoreyCast with YouTube Video. I am very excited to bring you this episode of the CoreyCast because I have loved this guy's music for so long. I first listened to them, man, probably on MySpace, funny enough. Uh, He was in a band called Polar Bear Club, and I got to see them live, which beginning of the podcast we determined was actually at the Lost Horizon in Syracuse. And I loved their music. They stopped making music, and uh, the band kind of went their separate ways. And Jimmy's still putting out stuff. We talked about all types of things and one of them being his new project uh called shy tooth and the music that he's putting out with them so i hope you enjoy this episode of the Corey cast the very first one that you can find on youtube that is fully in video so i hope you enjoy this episode with my friend jimmy And then it should say, yeah, there we go. And then the top, it should tell you that I'm recording too. Yes, I see a little thing that says live and a counter oh, is going. Yeah, so the cool well, thing about this by. program too is that <laughs> you could live stream it to uh, like Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, all that jazz. That's really cool. Is it a paid subscription? Uh, you can pay for like the premium thing, which lets me do all these like cool banners and like I could change the brand name and change all that stuff uh the base is is uh free but you have like all of this stuff cool. with it so you, you can't really like brand it to your own that you That's want cool. how much is the paid version uh i think it was like 20 bucks a month or something That's amazing yeah so it's a nice little tool i just uh i figured i would at least try it for a year and see and see what happens i'm always like interested about how people are doing these types of things just because everyone seems like they have a different kind of version or solution to like social media. Are you doing it through a paid zoom account or something like this? And I don't have like a podcast, but uh, like every person on earth have thought about doing some sort of thing of it. And I'm always like keeping little snippets in the back of my mind about how, how it's done. 
Yeah, no, it, it, I feel like everybody should have one. Why not? I guess it's such low. Well, I think the pandemic has certainly, I think the pandemic has brought out those, the last holdouts of those who did not have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> to finally having one. Yeah, hundred percent. That was last year I started doing it. And then as COVID progressed, I was like, I think I need to amp it up and, and put out like this now, like last year I did an episode every other week. And this year I'm doing an episode every week and just trying to branch out to people I wouldn't normally talk to like you like i've reached out to you and just took my shot and was like ah. i mean i've been friends and following you on instagram for a while ever <laughs> since uh when i saw you i was we were talking earlier about when you guys played the westcott and uh uh what, what year do we say it was like 2010 2011 right see that seems i'm probably the last person to ask about what date a thing happened in <laughs> things in my past either happened last week or a couple of years ago and there's no right. there's no in between yeah um, right. but that seems late to me because we i i feel like by the time clash battle had come out we were playing the lost horizon in Syracuse exclusively, but maybe, also maybe it was seen... the, the lost horizon. Now that you say that now, I feel like I'm backpedaling now. Well, the lost of course has a stage and the Westcott yep. has, are you thinking of the Westcott theater? Because we'd never played yes. the Westcott theater. Okay. So you must no, be thinking no, then, of lost horizon. Then it's the lost horizon. Yep, yeah, exactly. So what I was thinking you were thinking was the Westcott community center, which mm. I don't know, just depending on your age might've been a little before your time, but that's where they used to do, you know, punk and hardcore shows in Syracuse on the floor. And that's where Syracuse, that's where PBC like started playing in Syracuse. Right. And right. I, and I think by the time clash had come out that they were pretty much not doing shows there anymore. I think. Okay. So that, that makes sense. And it, it must've been, lost then, yeah. Yeah. It must've been the lost times. Yeah. Played that's there a bunch of times. That's pretty cool that you guys have been all over the place, huh? I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, we we went to Australia three times. We went across the country. I mean, over a dozen times, probably. Europe, five or six. I mean, honestly, we might have gone to Europe almost over five or six times. I think, yeah. It must have been so wild. Like when you're in the United States and you go, say, you're from uh, New York, right? From Rochester. I'm from Rochester, yeah. Okay, yeah. So like. Syracuse people knowing your knowing your songs and knowing your music makes sense but then when you go over to Europe that has to be so crazy to be like holy shit they're they know the words of these songs I, I mean there's we had a very like strange trajectory of how we started out to getting to that feeling like we we started out um I mean it's weird to say it now but like Pol- polar bear club kind of only ever did what we did because of MySpace, which is a weird thing to be saying now, but it is kind of true. We were, we started out right in like the MySpace era of band and, and MySpace awarded us the ability to kind of test the waters a little bit. And we started getting messages from, you know, people in California, people overseas asking when we were going to come play their city and we were just like what what and then yeah. it just kind of steamrolled from there but but you know of course that that we we had that feeling on our first tour across the US i mean i can distinctly remember you know there were a bunch of shows like this but one that sticks out in my mind was the first time we played san francisco we played this place called the parkside and uh 
I just remember having a crazy show and it was a show like we would have had in Syracuse when we first started. And the idea that we could go to San Francisco, having never been there never played there and having a show that essentially felt like a hometown show, it just blew my mind. I mean, and same thing happened the first time we played in London, you know, we, we, we kind of got to Europe in a weird way. We, we, we first went to Europe opening for the Gaslight Anthem. And we spent six weeks opening for them, which was great, but we were, we were first of three. So we were very much the opening band. We kind of segued that tour. We segued out of that tour into a couple headlining shows of our own. And the first time we headlined London, we played uh, this place called the underground and um, or it's called the Cambridge underground. I think, I don't think that's there anymore either. Um, same thing, same exact thing. I mean, we we I, we played such a crazy show in London. I can't remember if this was the first time or maybe the second time, but they were of the same intensity. A kid like got a concussion at the oh, show, <laughs> like shit like that. I mean, just like yeah. that, that that feeling. You know, I, I think as the band progressed, we 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 wanted to we obviously wanted to make more money than we did so that we could sustain doing it, you know? Yeah. But in terms of like career highlights and touch points, little things like that, you know, as simple minded as it seems like I'm at heart, a small town kid, you know, like going to London and having people, you know, sing along to words I wrote in the bedroom at my parents' house, you know, when I was, 20 or 21 i mean there's just no feeling like that it's it's really really rewarding yeah no i bet and especially because uh was when you guys started polar bear club was this was the the idea and the goal in mind was to have a a band of like that or was it just like you and a friend just kind of putzing around together dude yeah what we for well it Polar Bear Club went through many iterations um and the very first iteration of it was very dissimilar from even like late, of course, obviously the last iteration, but even like the main version of Polar Bear Club that started touring full time, we even had two iterations before that. You know, we started um, out with me and Chris. Well, actually, the band started before me. So Chris started the band um, and he started it with three other guys and they needed a singer. And I had sang in a band with Chris before that. I had sang in my own band before that. And I kind of just was tired of the sound of my voice. And I was kind of like, you know what? I don't really want to sing in bands anymore. And um, Chris kind of had to coax me into it a little bit. I, I didn't really want to to, to to sing in Polar Bear Club. How but funny they, is that? Huh? So they had recorded a demo at the time before I was in the band, what is now known as the Polar Bear Club demo, which isn't in large circulation, but the first thing we ever released it, that that was recorded before I was in the band. They sent me the songs and it kind of just hooked me. Like I, I, it just kind of grabbed me and I was able to write something I really liked over it. And I, I distinctly remember being like, all right, I'll see like what I can write over this music that they've already written. And I just remember the first song on the demo is a song that has a lot of like woes in them, which is something, you know, PBC kind of was known for later on, but we were doing that very early. And I remember just being in my bedroom, light, writing these lyrics and melodies 
And I got so amped up by like what I had written on this one song. I was like, damn, this is pretty good. Like not tooting my own horn, but just like something had clicked between what yeah. I was able to do and what they were doing before I stepped in. And I just was like, okay, yeah, I'll sing in this band. Yeah. So <laughs> it just, it just kind of made sense at the right time, right? It was right place, right time. I mean, sort of, yeah. I, I was just about to graduate college, right? Maybe it was in the mid, no, I was, I was about to transfer colleges because PBC was going while I was in college. And I just was like, you know what? I don't really want to focus on this type of thing anymore. I'm going off to college. I don't yeah. want to be distracted by a band, you yeah. know, and I, I just, I couldn't resist after, after I had heard the demo, you know, I just, I just was like, this is really good music. With Polar Bear Club, was it always that you wrote the lyrics and they wrote the the beats? Like I'm kind of a novice when it comes to writing music because that's so outside of my scope of experience, I guess you could say. Sure. Well, so that demo certainly was that the first demo was very much, music was already written. I came in and wrote the lyrics and the melodies over pre-written music. We went from that into the Redder the Better EP, which was um, a little a little mix of both. The, the All the music on the Redder the Better EP, I believe was written by Chris. And then I came in with lyrics and melodies and we would rearrange together. So we would kind of, he, he came with the music. Then once we started figuring out lyrics and melodies a little bit, we'd go back and be like, all right, well, maybe we should, because the lyrics are kind of building like this, maybe we should cut this part here. You know, we just kind of went back and retweaked it a little bit. Then after Redder the Better, I started writing more music. And then, and Nate joined the band and Nate started writing more music. So from, from sometimes things just disappear and on, Right. We were always collaboratively writing. I always, always wrote all lyrics and all melodies. I had a lot of melody help, of course. So they, there was a lot of input, specifically the producer of the first Polar Brick Club album, Sometimes Things Just Disappear, John Declario, produced that album and helped me a lot with melodies, just figuring out how to write them, how to even write and think about a melody. Um, but from there on out, we were kind of thirds in songwriters. I wrote the music for a third of the songs, Nate wrote for mm -hmm. a third, and Chris wrote for a third. Um, but I always did the lyrics and melodies over top what a, what a, whatever was being written. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it seems like every every band has got a kind of different flair when it comes to writing music. There's some people who just some bandmates aren't involved in it at all, and it's just the singer, or maybe it's just the drummer. Like it's always it's interesting to me because I think it's a it's a relationship, right? It all depends on who kind of has the, the drive or I guess the want to, to write the music, right? Yeah, and I think like, I, I'm the same way. I'm always really interested about how other bands do this. And ultimately it doesn't matter, right? Ultimately what matters is where you end and where you land with it. But I, I too am very like interested, like how, where do, where's the seed of this come from? But yeah. a lot of it comes, I mean, a lot of it was born out of a lack of means, right? I mean, we forever practiced without a PA system loud enough to even hear the vocals over the, over the music. Really? So for so long, a lot of the band wasn't hearing what the vocals even sounded like until they were being recorded. Just oh, interesting. We didn't really start seriously like demoing music until 
I think I think on Chasing Hamburg is when we decided, you know, maybe we should like demo these songs so everyone kind of knows what it sounds like before we start recording mm-hmm. it. You know, so it, it was a bit of a process like between the ends of that spectrum. But now, now when I write music, I, I can't imagine writing music without the melody first, essentially. So it's mm-hmm. kind of come very far from where I've started. Like I... I I I don't even like, like a lot of PBC was just like here here are some cool riffs and and these two riffs and parts like bleed well together hey go put some lyrics and melodies over top of these now I am so much more like simply minded like it's more about it's not about the two being stacked on top of each other to me now it's about the marriage between the two and how they inform each other. Like if you go and, and the reason I got to be like this is I started learning how to play songs that I loved and I would sit down to learn a song that I really liked. And as I sat down to do it, I always to myself said, this song sounds so incredible and so unique. It must be this like crazy chord progression I've never heard of, or it must be something so totally new and unique every single time you sit down to learn a song it's always way more simpler than you could ever have imagined and what is making it sound unique is a how they play it like how it sounds in their hands and the marriage between that music and that melody is making it sound unique so now i i can't separate the two like i write from a play i'm I play and sing as I write like that. They, they get written together now, essentially. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. When you were, when you guys were all writing music for polar bear club, was there a certain song that resonated with you the most? Like, was there something you kind of put a lot of yourself into that? Um, I don't know. I would say that you still to this day is like one of your, one of your favorites that you put together. It's really funny because I think if you listen to interviews with like songwriters, a lot of them will say this, that the best songs end up being the easiest to write. Like, Mm. like the best songs sometimes just fall out. Like they were just there and they just piece together really easily and straightforwardly. It does not happen a lot. A lot of times it's a bit of a labor, you know, to, to, to piece it all together. But you know, once in a blue moon, I'll sit down and just write a song from start to finish and I'll change very little about it. It'll, it'll just come right out. Those tend to be the best songs. And a prime example of that is the song Pawner, the first song off of Clash Battle. Yeah. And to, to this day, that is, that's one of my favorites, just A, because it was so effortless to write and it, it, it just not only that, it came out good. You know, it, it was a really good marriage between the lyrics and the melody and the way the song sounds. And those are some of my favorite lyrics I've ever written. And I just distinctly remember I was just humming that tune. On a, I used to live in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And I was walking to a friend's house a couple blocks away. And I just remember I was walking, humming that song to myself. And by the time I had gotten from door to door, I had, it was written. It was essentially written. Oh, wow. And that doesn't happen very much at all. You know, a lot of times, especially nowadays, it's a lot harder now for me to write lyrics than it used to be. 
just because it's more of a, I don't know, it's just, it's, I, I could write music and melody all day long, but to actually sit down and write lyrics now, I'm always like, oh, gotta go write some lyrics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but that song came out really effortlessly. And I like it because it's a positive memory, but also I think it's just a really effective, clear, it's one of our most clear songs. And right. we, we thrived a lot on ambiguity and mystery and like writing weird songs that song I feel like was the clearest and most to the point. And I think a very effective polar bear club song. Yeah, no, that's, that's probably one of my favorite. I would say that and living saints obviously is, is probably one of my favorites. And even, you know, you guys, I remember watching you guys play eat, eat dinner, bury the dog and run. Yep. And that song was fucking awesome because <laughs> i i heard that song probably like around the time i was in college and when you're when you're that age i just felt like i was just angsty i felt like that was just like that was like yeah a windshield built for war hell yeah that's what i need right now like you just i don't know just that song resonated with me a lot when so I much of that song too and that feeling we i have to give credit again to that producer john declario because that 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 moment and a lot of that record was just like the perfect aligning of stars you know a we in the band were doing that but also john as a producer engineer he really got what we were trying to do and just like subtle thing like he masters records really loud like he he just is a big fan of loud mastering or was and like that record when it kicks in it's fucking loud it's yeah. loud and heavy yep. and like my voice was in just a really good spot that day and just it all hits and that is just a good um, that's a really good moment on a record you know when that that song clicks in i love that song yeah when everything just kind of matches together it goes it goes super well and especially it's like the raspiness too of your voice has that like has that a, is your voice still affected from polar bear club like did that after you performed a show with that kind of uh with that kind of voice that kind of tune did you always leave with like your throat on fire well i can't really do that anymore um i i yeah. I, 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 I i well a I, I don't really want to do it anymore just because it's not very comfortable but but um I, I was never good at doing it right. You know, um, like if you look at certain singers, like, you know, um, like Keith Buckley and every time I die or, or uh, Matt from the Bronx, you know, they do that and they know how to do it like technically and they can do it for months on end and they don't ever feel sore or pain because they, they are technically trained and can do it really well. I never did that. So I was probably not doing it technically right. But so I can't do it anymore, which is fine. I don't really want to do it anymore. But but when PBC was in our throes, um, it would usually go like this. A tour would start. First night would 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 be okay, be a little sore after the first night. Second night would continue on that trajectory. Third night, I'd feel like, oh shit, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna lose my voice, I'm gonna lose my voice. Fourth night, I'd just be locked in and good for the rest of the tour. Mm. Um, now, it has ups and downs, you know? I mean, 
I, I, I was always very, I always took very good care of my voice. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't a smoker. I didn't stay up all night drinking. I was always hydrated. I warmed up. I would go on vocal rest if I felt like I needed to, where I just straight up wouldn't talk for days um, oh, wow. just to rest my voice. Um, but you know, it, it, I won't say it was, it was easy, but it wasn't like a one-to-one where every single time after every show, it, it kind of hurt. Um, sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. But what was weirder was when it stopped working. Like um, there was a tour, I think it was Taking Back Sunday or Bad Religion, where I just noticed my voice just didn't work the same. Mm-hmm. And it just it just felt different and sounded different. I, I started going to like ear, nose, and throat doctors and getting serious checkups on things and, and trying to look into what was happening. I thought maybe I was getting like polyps or something like that. Yeah. Um, I never really had like good control over my voice like that. Um, I wish I did. I probably could have done it better, but we were so broke, you know? So like yeah, going to see a $500 vocal instructor to teach me how to do X, Y, and Z, something I probably should have pushed for, but I, I always felt, I, I just felt guilty about putting that strain on the band as silly as it sounds. Um, but probably should have done something like that. Either way, you know, it didn't, it, it didn't hurt all of the time. Sometimes it did, but I usually was able to muster my way through it. I, I got really good at just powering through it, you know? Um, mm. But honestly, that was a, it, it was a big mental strain on me touring. Like I had a lot of anxiety that I bottled up being on tour because I was always very self-conscious that my voice didn't sound as good as it could, or I wasn't doing it right. And so I kind of combated that by just doing a crazy show, you know, like yeah. no matter what condition my voice was in, I was going to get on the stage and I was going to perform passionately and honestly, no matter what. Um, and that, that energy kind of fueled that a little bit. Do you think that that's why, when you look at all your albums and then they, they very much have uh, like a tone, especially with uh, your voice. And then death chorus was a little different, right? Was that where you guys were just like, all right, well, I, I can't do that anymore. So we kind of have to do something a little different. Well, death chorus wasn't planned like that. The, the plan with death chorus was to do those songs with, like the classic polar bear club voice. And the plan was to do these poppier songs and have this gnarly voice singing over top of it. Kind of like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band grade from when I was a little younger, kind of a big inspiration on polar bear club or, or silent majority where polar bear club got our name. These bands that had these more melodious songs, but these really gnarly voices singing them. And it just sounded cool. So that was the plan with Death Chorus. Was we knew we were getting poppier with our songs, but the plan wasn't necessarily to get poppier with the vocals. The plan mm. was to get gnarlier with the vocals and right. have the juxtaposition between the vocals being, you know, like they were on Clash Battle and have the music be a little poppier and have that juxtaposition and tension be the point of view of that album. What ended up happening, though, was my voice just wouldn't do that anymore. And so the singing just naturally got a little cleaner because it had to. 
but that wasn't wasn't really the plan with that album was did you guys name death chorus as like symbolic that it was going to be your last album did you guys kind of know that or i i here's here's why we named it that is because we just were looking back at a lot of the songs and a lot of the choruses in the songs had the word death or dying in them. <laughs> and we were like, and we just joking, we're like, there's a lot of death choruses on this song. And we just thought, you know, death chorus is a pretty good band name <laughs> or sorry, album name. I, I think that was, that was the extent of like the conscious thought. As I get a little further removed from it, I wonder how much of it was like subconsciously knowing that this was our last album. I don't know. I, I, I don't know about that. I, I think, I think I subconsciously knew a little bit just because mm-hmm. my voice had changed so much. And we were just at like a, a bit of a crossroads in our career and, and our lives. And I think I knew it could be, I don't think I knew it was going to be, but I think deep, deep down subconsciously, I knew it could be. I don't think that played a part in the name at all. I think that was just kind of just coincidence. coincidence yeah. That's a happy little accident, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> when you look, when you look online, it says polar bear club has taken a hiatus. Is there any talk of like putting out more music or just shooting out an EP for shits and giggles? Hmm. You know, I, I, nothing is ever off the table. You know, I would never say definitely not. Um, I, I, I think for me personally, and you have to ask the others about this. I kind of get the sense again, I can't, I can't say this concretely. I get the sense that I'm kind of the last holdout. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think some of the others would like to do that and they might be, you know, I, I'm the last one to want or not want to do that. I think for me personally, I, I will do that when it is artistically interesting to me, when, okay. when there is inspiration for it to be done. I would never, I would never deny that inspiration. If, mm-hmm. if, if, I, if there is inspiration to make more polar bear club music, there's going to be more polar bear club music. It'll always be centered around music. It'll always be centered around new material. I don't think we'll ever like come back to play the hits tour, yeah. you know, because yeah, yeah. we all have jobs. We don't really like need the money like that. So we wouldn't do that. We would do it around new material that we were excited about. Um, that inspiration just isn't really there uh, right now. I'm not to, not to say it could never be, but I just, I don't really know what it would sound like. I don't know. I don't know if that ship has sailed or not, but I would never deny it if it came back. Yeah. I, I, I respect that point of view because I, th- I think that's sometimes people like force that, right? Like, like a comeback. Oh, we got it. And then maybe they won't be totally into it. I'd rather, I'd rather you guys be totally in on it right. and then put out some fucking awesome killer music. That That's such a good way of putting it because a lot of people ask me about that. And sometimes they they kind of say to me something to the effect of, it would really mean a lot to me if you did this. Or, or you know, I was X level of fan, so I would like it if you did this. They're not so, they're not consciously saying like, 
I deserve this, so please get back together. But in a little bit of a way, they're kind of saying like, you know, you should right. do it because we all really loved you. And that is great. I'm super thankful for that. But but we did Polar Bear Club because we loved it. We did it because we loved doing it. And until that is in place, no one wants to see the Polar Bear Club playing that, that Polar Bear Club doesn't love doing. And that's yeah. that's like the disconnect a little bit is people are like, we just want you to get up there and do it. And it's like, you don't want you don't want us to get up there and do it unless we also love it and we don't. So you don't want us to do it really. <laughs> yeah. Cause then, then the, you're that emotional project in your music, right? Well, it, it just will be disingenuous. You know, it would yeah. be, it would be a cash grab, you know, yeah. and you know, none of us are, none of us are, we, like I said, we all have other lives and jobs, you know, the only reason for us, to do polar bear, and I'm not even I'm not even trying to shit on bands that do come back for the cash, you know. Like, if you are hard up on cash and we're in some sort of like legacy band and want to get back together to make a couple grand doing a tour, there's a lot worse ways to make money. You know, there's a lot more evil ways to make money. I don't really have a problem with that. I just, for me personally, there's no reason for me to do polar bear club again unless unless it inspires me. Right now it doesn't, but I would never say that it could never again, you know? I think it'd be kind of interesting, but logistically it'd be a little tough. Like we'd have to figure out exactly the lineup. I I would like to just kind of do it with everybody. Um, But again, it it would all come from the material. Yeah, and that's... Listen, part of me, the flip side of the coin, I want to be like one of those people and say, Jimmy, I want to listen to more Polar Bear Clubs. I'll put on more shit for my my own selfish gain. But at the same time, it just, I don't think, like what you're doing with Shy Tooth, I don't know you very well, Jimmy, but it seems very reflective of you in a sense. Like that seems like that's your interest. And when I listen to your new song, by the way, is a fucking banger. I love that song. Thank you. Um, it, it just seems... I don't know. I think you can tell when someone's not genuinely interested in what in what they're putting out. I think it it affects their music. And I want the best version of Jimmy, right? So Jimmy right now is really down with with Shy Tooth. He's really putting out stuff with that. Well, and also think about sometimes like when a band does come back and you wish they hadn't. You know, <laughs> yeah. like like that that then you then as a fan you start thinking like, "Oh man, I like fans, myself included, we're, we're a little, we're a little picky, you know, and we, yeah. we don't really know what we want until we have it. That's the thing. That that's the thing about being a fan and a consumer of anything, film, music. You really don't know what you want until you're seeing it or until you're hearing it. So I think it's very natural as a fan of anything to be like, I want more of that. Like I was doing it this morning. Like I, I. I'm a really big fan of the television show Hannibal. And I was watching an interview with the creator and star of Hannibal. And they were talking about potentially doing a season four of Hannibal. And I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, yes, do it. I would be right there. But I don't really know that I want it until I'm seeing it. Like I could fully sit down and see that and be disappointed by it, you know? So content and creation is weird like that. Um, It's got to come from the right place. Yeah, or or else people can kind of see through that shit. It's kind of weird how people have a sixth sense for that, huh? Well, I I 
the stand that I kind of take on this, I'd like to think is somewhat of a testament to the years I spent in Polar Bear Club. I'd like to think if you're a fan of Polar Bear Club pining for a PBC reunion listening to this right now, and you're thinking, man, why is Jimmy such a stickler about this? I'd like to think that if you thought about it for a second, you realize it, it only corroborates how genuine and honest we were the time we were doing it because that was why we did it for that time. That is just not there anymore or right now. So that's why we don't do it. Yeah. Rest assured, if that comes back, we we will come back. Um, I, I have no idea what my future holds in terms of what will inspire me you know, to create or do. So more right now, you're very inspired by, by Shy Tooth, right? Yes, yes. And how did that come about? <laughs> you know what? I, I didn't realize this, but it came about kind of the same way Polar Bear Club did. It was already started. There, there was already music recorded. And someone sent it to me and said, hey, do you want to maybe sing on this? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And, and I, so Brian, the bass player, who um, your background is reminding me of this because your background looks a lot like the cover of a demo by Rochester band Marathon, which some of your listeners will know. Um, Brian played guitar in Marathon, and he and I were in a band together long before Polar Bear Club. I went on my first tour when I, I so I just turned 36. I went on my first tour when I was 17. Damn. And uh, it was with a punk band called The Disaster, which I was in with Brian, who played guitar in Marathon and plays bass in Shy Tooth. And um, he had written some songs, just kind of like garage band demos. And um, he sent them to me and he said, Hey, I'm trying to get back into writing and playing music again. Like love it. If you like sang on this, not even like in the band, like just sing on this demo and, and let's just record this. We won't even be like a band. Um, and so he sent me the demo and I sang on it and I was like listening back to my vocals and I was like, you know what, with the way my vocals are, a guitar lead would like really sound good here and here and here. So I, I played guitar on it too. And I sent him back to the recording. I was like, Hey, I know you didn't really ask me to play guitar on this, but I just wanted my vocals to kind of make sense. And they make a little sense with these types of guitar leads. And he, he really liked it. And he was like, dude, you should play guitar in this and sing in this. I'll play bass. I've got this other guy, John, who's going to play guitar. And we just started playing like that. We, we actually, we practiced once a, once a week for like two years before we even played a show or released any music. Really? We were, we were just getting together, figuring it out, having fun, hanging out, and just figuring out kind of how we wanted to sound. And uh, we had such a blast doing that. Then we released a demo, which is up on Spotify. And then we just started writing, 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 and and put together the full length that's coming out in March. Do you think that low pressure, you know, low pressure system of figuring it out for that two years, do you think that was instrumental in the writing process as you guys for a band? I think yes. I, I yes and no. I, I always kind of like think about this because I think to some extent very much yes. It gave us the opportunity to like, I mean, we wrote a lot of songs that we just threw away. And that's just what you have to do. That's that's how you figure it out. That's how you figure out what does and doesn't work. So on the one sense, yes, that was great for that. On the other hand, 
sometimes a little pressure can maybe be good, you know, to, to a get you to finish what you're doing, but also to not overthink things, which I certainly have a tendency to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's a little bad and a little good. It definitely was good in shy tooth figuring out each other and, and what our strengths were not as individuals, but as a collective unit. Did you, did you say you played with the, the guitarist before? in a band the brian plays bass bass and he and i played guitar in a band when i was really really young called the disaster another rochester band who if there are rochester and syracuse people listening to this i mean they they if they're of a certain age they would they would know these bands we played syracuse all the time (laughs) Um, yeah it was an old rochester hardcore band called the disaster i was 17 brian was 23 uh 22 and uh, they all had to come to my house and convince my mother to let me go on tour. <laughs> and literally, I'll never forget this. It was me in my living room with Brian. One of the other guys, John, was almost 30. Another 22-year-old, another 25-year-old, and then 17-year-old me and my mom all <laughs> sitting in the living room. You know, they're all covered in tattoos and they're all punk hardcore dudes. And they're they're essentially <laughs> trying to convince my mother to let me go on a full U.S. tour for a month at 17, <laughs> going into my last year of high school. Like, I was oh. still not done with high school yet. Right. Um, that was crazy. That was crazy. I mean, but such an amazing time, you know. I mean, we toured with Modern Life is War. We toured – that was probably the biggest band. We toured with Strike Anywhere on that tour um that was insanely fun insanely fun that's funny i all i imagine is a bunch of tattoos like dudes with neck tattoos trying to convince a sweet old lady to let their son go with them. <laughs> well my mom's biggest fear which was just so strange i never fully understood this but like it, it came up in other ways too her biggest fear was i was going to get to california and just stay there that was her biggest fear. She was like, I don't care so much about anything else. I know you're a good kid. I know you have good judgment. But my biggest fear is that you're going to see California and you're not going to come back. And it just was so funny to me to think about because, like, you know, being on tour, you just want to get home. <laughs> yeah. All you want to do is is get home. Um, but that was just a, that was her big fear is that I was going to n- not return from California. So they convinced her, though, right? They did. They convinced her. Um, I think she was always going to let me do it because um, my mother just passed away, actually. So it's emotional for me to talk about this because this is just funny, funny memories of her. Um, She I I was not a very like easy kid to figure out. Um, I, I wasn't into many things. I didn't take to sports. I didn't I was like a totally average student, average like even putting it graciously. Um, I, I just, I, I never found my thing until when I was like 12, my dad bought me this like shitty guitar and I just disappeared into my bedroom for hours on end. And I could not stop playing guitar. Finally, I had found my thing, you know? And I think because of that, my mother was never not going to let me go. She couldn't they spent so much time with me as a child trying to figure out what is this kid into? He essentially locks himself in his room and reads comic books and watches TV all day and all yeah. night. 
I, I mean, literally all night, I would stay up till four in the morning watching television. And they just couldn't figure out what I was into. And then finally I got really into music and guitar and punk rock and rock and roll. And I think because of that, she just, she never was going to not let me go. She couldn't, she couldn't, she kind of had to pretend like she was more against it than she was. But yeah. in essence, She's I don't think, exactly. I don't think she could have, um, she could have like not let her son go do the one thing he was really passionate about, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you went on your first tour, what was it like with your expectations versus what re like actually happened? Did you imagine tours gonna be like this really awesome thing where you're going to get to shower every day and then yeah. tour happens and you're like, Oh shit, I haven't showered in like five days. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, this, I was, I, I had dreamed about, I mean, the first dream was going to a concert, right? That was my first dream as a 12 year old. I want to go to a concert. I haven't been to one of those ever. So then finally I got to one of those. And then I just fell into my local punk and hardcore scene pretty early on. I, I ingratiated myself into that scene probably around 15 or 16. So I was going to punk and hardcore shows for a couple years before I started touring. So I didn't have necessarily any delusions of grandeur. I didn't think like, you know, I didn't think touring was going to be like a groupies and hotels partying situation. <laughs> I generally thought it was going to be more like the punk and hardcore shows I had spent the previous years going to just in different places. So that I was fully, it met my expectations exactly. What I wasn't ready for was like the internal relationships and how, like I, to this day, I still tr struggle with conflict a little bit. I, I mean, a lot better than I was, but but up until that point, I generally didn't even really have many conflicts in my life going on that tour. I certainly didn't think conflict was a positive thing. When you go on tour a little bit, you start to realize, you know what? Conflict can be good. It, it's, it can be good to communicate your issues with someone else and have them communicate them with you. That's not a bad thing. I, that's just not how I grew up. You know, my, my parents yeah. are both really nice and polite and super friendly. There, there wasn't a lot of conflict from them. They avoided conflict quite a bit. And so that was the big shell shock for me was like, you, you spend so much time in such proximity with people and naturally you're going to have issues with each other and there is a need for conflict to resolve those issues that was the big thing i wasn't ready for and learned on going on my first tour because we were in a van that had a front seat and a and a shotgun seat and one bench and that was it and wow. there was six or seven of us you know we had we had no trailer we had taken out all the back benches to house the gear and so you know, we were in really, really close proximity for very, very long stretches of time all the time, you know, and that's yeah. what tour was like e even for polar bear club. But, but I wasn't ready for like how to deal with that mental, mentally and emotionally, you know, that was the big shell shock. Yeah. Did you, did you always like turn away and try to avoid conflict before that? I think I always was like, try, I always tried to be the nice guy and I still am. And I still, I still, and here's the thing. I am also an infinitely patient person. So there's a lot that I can deal with before I do get angry. Like I, I just have a lot of patience and a lot of empathy. 
when someone's kind of pissing me off, my first thought is to try and understand them and, and understand why they're acting the way they're acting. And generally that's helped me a lot in my life because I, it, it, it awards you the opportunity to feel for someone and maybe avoid unnecessary conflict or, or avoid like partaking in a conflict in an unnecessary fashion. By that, I mean, you know, being overtly angry and insulting and, and hurtful. So I, I, that is a strength that I have. And I like that. But, but I think for a while that I let that become a weakness where I, I always deferred to that and kind of would bottle it up. And I would, I would go at lengths to even avoid the conflict and, and write it off as patience where sometimes it crosses the line. Like, okay, I can't, sympathize with this person anymore i need to stop sympathizing with them i need to start like cussing them out you know yeah yeah dude that's the same with me I, we have a we have some parallels because I'm, I'm the same way but i also before like i, I was uh, from a retail background so when i went from retail to real estate i was very introverted and then in retail you bend over backwards somebody's pissed off you go okay listen i'll give you a credit card you're happy yada 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 and that was one thing that i've had to like get over with that you know sometimes there's gonna be conflict in real estate sometimes you know my introverted self i just try to push myself outside my comfort zone like you probably had to deal with it many times trying to two people arguing and you're like oh shit i'm in the middle i'm sleeping between these two dudes in the van now I need to help. I got to help resolve it in some way. I, I was always in the middle too. I mean, that's just, that's just, I don't know what it is about my personality, but I, I have always been the intermediary for other people's arguments, even in my, you know, personal life and my professional life. I've always been the person that someone else comes to, to be like, Hey, this other person is really pissing me off. I'm going to explode. I need your help. Um, I, I don't know why there's something about my face and my demeanor and how I carry myself. I don't, cause you're a great it. guy. That's why <laughs> Maybe, I hope so. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't mind it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. I, and I like, I like being that for people. I feel like it, they give me their trust in doing that. And I, and I, I don't, re I don't take that responsibility lightly, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I often find myself in the middle or, or mediating other people's conflict for sure. Dude, I think that goes back to, that's a great example of why I think that you're such a genuine person because like polar bear club, you don't want to do that unless you're wholeheartedly in it. And I think that's an example of how genuine you are and other people want to come to you and talk to you about that kind of shit because you are a genuine person. Like you have a, they know I'll shoot straight with them. They, they know I've always, so I come from a retail background as well. Um, well, now, when after Polar Bear Club ended, I, I start the first job I had after PBC was in a call center. And of course, wow. you know, dealt with all that yep. same type of, of crap. But, but also, you know, I think people know I will, I will shoot straight with them, but also in a way that respects their, their, the, their humanity, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I tell I tried best I can to tell my friends and family exactly how I see it. And I try to be honest, but I think the reason they come to me is because when I do that, they can tell that I'm trying to do it in a way that empathizes with them. That says, Hey, I, I know why you think this and why you're approaching it this way. 
let me explain to you though what the other person might be thinking and how they might be approaching this and why you are maybe in conflict because of this you know and i think i gen i tend to approach my honesty and, and genuineness gently and i think people take comfort in that i don't know yeah and that must have come in handy a lot of times too especially when you're essentially living nuts to butt with somebody for what how long would you tour for three months two months um you know not quite that long for stretches thank god we, we i think the longest stretch we did without a serious break was probably two months but um but yeah i mean when polar Bear club first started we were on the road nine months out of the year um and i think by the time we ended we had that down to like six months out of the year but but still um yes it's a very good skill to have i i and I was happy to bring that to the table. I'm happy to be that person in, in working relationships. You know, it's, it's, I'm, 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 I take it seriously that I'm able to do that. And I, and I like doing it. Well, what are you doing uh, for work now? I do uh, software project management, essentially uh, implementation sort of. So I came, I came from a call center after PBC ended. That's the only job that would have me after a, you know, seven year gap in my resume as a musician <laughs> that I tried best I could to spin into some sort of professional sounding resume. Uh, Jimmy, it says here seven years employed by Polar Bear Club. And that's that's exactly what my resume said. And I had some serious bullshit on there, like managing retail pop-up stand, aka a merch table, you know, yeah. like <laughs> bullshit like that, you know, whatever. It's no fucking worse than any other liar on their resume, I guess. But my first job, it's so funny. So sometimes this helped me get jobs. Like my, so my first serious job after Polar Bear Club, the guy who interviewed me was a fan of Polar Bear Club. He, <laughs> he, he saw me open for Bad Religion and he was a huge Bad Religion fan. And that Bad Religion tour was close to kind of the last tour we did. It was, it was near the end. So he had seen me open for Bad Religion maybe less than a year before I'm interviewing for this job. He's, he's still a friend to this day. He's a great guy. Um, but he hired me in this call center. I started working nights in the call center. I worked from 7.30 to 4 in the morning in a call center for about a year. Ugh. And then um, I got good. I was good at it, you know, for all the reasons I just explained. Like I, I – for all of those skills I just explained, like are th skills you thrive on in a call center. And so I was good at it and I got promoted to like the training and quality department. I started getting into like professional training and uh, quality assurance in a call center, basically like call center ops, I guess. Mm. Um, I really liked that job actually. I kind of wish I still had it, but it was, um, it, was, um, it was a subsidiary of Amazon and Amazon shut it down. And so I got laid off. Then my wife and I moved back to Rochester and um, I got a job doing software implementation with this company that uh, sells a payment processing software to school districts. So I essentially train and implement and project manage school districts on using this new software. Oh, that is yeah. cool. That yeah, is pretty sweet. All, all at the same time, still putting out stuff for shy tooth, right? Well, yeah, so that I didn't realize how important to me that was until I kind of got into it. I was I was just talking about this on another podcast, but I when Polar Bear Club ended, 
you know, I, I was a person who going into Polar Bear Club and throughout our career, my biggest passion was, well, I have two very big passions in life. One is film and the other is songwriting. And when PBC ended, I didn't write a song. I didn't touch a guitar for probably two years. I just stopped. I just put it down. I just put my guitar in the closet, thought to myself, I'll get that out in a couple days. And two years went by and I didn't touch wow. the damn thing. Um, I, once I got back into it, though, it, it, it picked right back up and it came back like like a like a bonfire ignited. I mean, and I realized looking back on it, 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 it was because I was missing that that balance, like that balance of having a semi-regular life, like going to a job and balancing a relationship and job full time. And through that, I started to become creative again because when you're in a band full time, there's just this weird pressure to make music. Yeah. And not only that, but your life is so specific to touring and making music, you kind of don't really have a life anymore. And music and art to me is about reflecting and expressing your life. And I just ran out of stuff to express, you know, I, I needed to get a life again. And I really did through like having a full-time job. And that's the reason why I know I'll never tour full-time again. Like no matter what music I make or what I do, I am 99.99% certain I will never tour full-time again because I just learned that about myself, that that balance is so important to me. Having the balance of kind of a regular life or just a life life balanced with creative pursuits sort of off the clock. And I really like that. I don't know. I, I, I just, I really, I really like that environment. I like it makes me miss it makes me miss it like i spend my day working and i spend a lot of my day thinking about like when i get off work i'm gonna go tear the shit out of this song i'm about to yeah. write you know and, and it's a good energy to have yeah and also it helps uh kind of keep that fire alive right because i imagine if that fire is burning constantly for like you said i mean man five six years constantly touring put out an album touring put on an album i would imagine that fire would it wouldn't die out right because music is a as a big passion of yours but it would definitely kind of dim the flame a little bit in a sense i think you know there's certainly people who do it you know i mean yeah you think of you know i don't know there more people do it than don't you know neil young toured for a pretty long time and he was pretty damn well able to write some pretty amazing songs about <laughs> life while he did it. Um, I just wasn't one of those people, I guess, you know, I just, I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to figure out a way to, and again, it probably points back to this, this, I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is necessarily genuine because there's some really genuine artists who are able to do this, but I think for me, I just wasn't able to figure it out. I didn't know how to express myself with my life being what it was. Um, I just ran out of a prism that I saw life through. I mean, I saw life through a van window and I wrote some songs about that. And I think I wrote some good ones about it, but how many can you really write about that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And how was the process now from back in old polar bear club days to now with shy tooth, how is like music writing different for you? 
is it just more personable is it more you know more a piece of everybody in the band rather than just like two or yeah i mean it's funny because i feel like i'm in kind of another songwriting drought right now but let's say before this songwriting drought i think that's kind of just a coronavirus thing but um before that yeah i mean i think I do think of songs a little differently now. And I think of songwriting a little differently. It's, it's super collaborative, you know, but like the shy tooth songs and the shy tooth album that's coming out in March, most of those songs were written by me now written. What is, what is writing a song mean? It means I, I wrote the lyrics. I wrote the melody. I had this, I, I created the seeds that we planted in the garden of our band and everyone let it grow, you know? Like, so yes, I wrote those songs, but like I share writing credit, you know, I, I'm, I'm never the type of person who would try to be like, well, I want 75% of the publishing because I wrote these songs. Like <laughs> yeah. I split everything five ways, you know, yeah. not, and I don't mean that we make a lot of money off of our publishing. We don't make any. I just do that by principle because I don't think there's any way to really quantify the value of, of, of writing a song, you know? Um, so yes, the ideas of those songs come from me, but like, I, I can't make the drums feel like Trevor makes the drums feel. I can't yeah. make the guitar leads feel like John makes the guitar leads feel it's, it's all of us doing that. And there's even more collaboration than that. Like, one of my favorite songs on the album is a song called Say Now. And we actually released it before, but we re-recorded it. We released it on the um, paid version of our Bandcamp demo. So if you paid for our Bandcamp demo, you got a version of that demo that had an uh, actual song on it. We re-recorded that song for the album. It's one of my favorites. That song, though, was written like this. Brian came to me and he had some chords and he had a melody. I remember distinctly. He said, listen, I got this chord progression. It goes like this. And then the melody I kind of think is like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That was it. Like that's he he created that. I took that and I I turned it into the song. You know, so like who wrote that song? He or yeah, hard to say. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't care. Like it doesn't that that's one of the benefits of of doing it fully as a passion. I don't have to care about that type of stuff. I don't yeah. make money off this regardless, you know? Yeah, like, right. So I don't have to, I don't have to hound the money. You know, it, 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 it's really, I really like doing it the way I'm doing it now. It awards a lot of freedoms. The new album, did you guys record all together or did you guys record in separate studios and you mix it together? We got so lucky because we finished tracking that probably right as coronavirus started oh shit so a full year from recording to when the album comes out it's been tracked for a while it's been Uh tracked for a while we we took our time with it i mean we weren't like we've been sitting on it for a while but we also really we took our time with the mix and we we really took our time with it but we finished principal tracking and we tracked the vocals last i think we finished vocal tracking maybe two or three weeks before coronavirus like oh. full quarantine started yeah so we were like really lucky. yeah exactly so we were really really lucky we so, but but we did it all in one studio but that being said 
we did little drop-ins in our own home studios. And I put home studios in quotes because none of us have like really serious home studios. But like <laughs> if if I realized there was a backing vocal that we didn't do that I wanted, I would record it in my basement and send it off to get mixed and added to the song. If cool I was that? Oh, it's amazing. It, it was incredible. Like same with guitar leads. Like if I realize, you know what, we're missing a guitar lead here or maybe like just a layer. Let me just go in my basement and record some guitar. The the guy who runs the studio lent me some really nice microphones nice. and taught me how to do it essentially. And we did we did a lot of aspects from home in our own houses, but only little touches. The main tracking we all did together in the 1809 studio in Macedon, New York. Oh, nice. How far away is that from you? It's only about half an hour. I mean, it's it's technically Rochester still, but Rochester uh, is pretty big. But I mean, it's it's funny because I live in a in a like urban suburban area of Rochester, I guess is how you describe it. Pretty much a suburb. But there's one road, Route 31, that runs through all of Rochester essentially out to the country. And literally, I go out my street, I go left on 31, and I take that all the way to the studio, half an hour, just straight. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. literally, I just go left out my street, and then all the way down 31 into Macedon, and then another left, essentially, into the studio. That's great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So what, what's the new title, or the new album? Is it Ultra Suede? It's called Ultra Suede, yeah. Nice. And when, when does it come out? March what? March 26th it comes out. So Damn. yeah, we put a single out. Uh, yesterday, yeah, and we're gonna Which, put. By the way, it was your birthday. It was my birthday. Yes, Dude, happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. That was not planned by us. I don't think. Are you sure. We, <laughs> I don't think it was. Actually, we we sat down with the label and put like a loo- loose like release plan in place, and I think the plan was to put the first single out either the 11th or the 12th, and we we didn't know until the label did it on the 11th. But so I knew it was going to be close to my birthday, but I didn't know it was going to be exactly my birthday. That's sweet. <laughs> but we're going to put one more single out between now and the record coming out. There's also three songs that we released ourselves as like an, a teaser EP that are up now. On, on Wavelengths? Yep, yep. So those three songs are on the record. There will be one more that gets released as a single. And then, um, and then the album comes out on, on March 26th. Damn, dude, I'm excited. Me too. I'm excited, just mostly because, again, my own selfish reasons is you're putting out music. That's all. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's different from PBC. I mean, for sure, but it's it's um, it's still a piece of you, though, dude. And it's and it's also like if you listen to some of the songs that I wrote for Polar Bear Club, if you tried to analyze, like, because like there was three songwriters in Polar Bear Club: me, Nate, and Chris. If you tried to analyze what each three of us brought to the table, It'd be hard. Shy Tooth would be a representation of what I brought to the Polar Bear Club table. It's mm. just my full version, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I tended to be the popular one. Like Living Saints is a song I wrote. That was one of yeah. my songs, and that's kind of one of our more popular melody-driven songs. Dude, you know? that is that is definitely on my workout playlist. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. That's a hot workout track. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, thanks for doing this. I think we could, I honestly could talk to you for a whole nother hour. 
<laughs> we can go as long as you want. I mean, I don't want to keep you too long, but I'm ha if you have more questions, I'm not in a rush to leave. So I'm happy to answer more, but I don't want to mess with your plan of broadcast here. So I, no, I, dude, this is this has been great. I would love we could even like we didn't even touch base on your whole. Uh, you're doing like a movie club too, right? Yeah, can we mention it quickly? Yeah, absolutely. Is that okay with you? I'm, so, yeah. Just to plug it. Um, so yeah, like like I said, my, my I've always been really passionate about film and movies. I, I don't really know why. It's just something that I've always really connected very strongly with. Um, I've never really had an outlet for it or a way to express it. Um, so quarantine and, and my wife kind of pushed me to do this too, because I've been talking about doing something like this forever, kind of pushed me to do this like community driven movie club. And essentially it's very simple. Um, it's a discord chat. The links to it are in all of my social bios and it's a chat room that runs all the time. Once a week we get together on a video call and we discuss that week's movie picked by a random member of the club. And essentially you can pick whatever movie you want. I generally, I, I try to get people to pick a movie that means something to them. I, I, I like the idea of the club being an opportunity for people to share a movie that means something to you with others and discuss it with other people. Um, so that's really it. I was for a while recording the meetings in hopes of maybe turning it into some sort of podcast. We, we have three of them recorded in the discord channel. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not, it, it's, it's an amazing, I love doing it and it's a, become kind of an important thing in my life. Weirdly enough. Um, I don't know if it works as a podcast necessarily as it stands. So we're still kind of tweaking that, but um, I don't know. There's some, there's, there's, it's going to grow for sure. It's going to grow into other things, but at its core, that's what it is. It's like Jimmy's mystery science 3000. <laughs> less, less, less funny. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and more serious. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. No what I'll do is uh, when we put the this episode out in the description, I'll put all the links for all your stuff for shy tooth uh, for the movie uh club and all that jazz too perfect that would be amazing dude thanks for an hour out of your night to sit and talk shit with me that was this is cool <laughs> this has been a lot of fun i hope i hope it was okay for you i appreciate you uh you asking me to do it and if uh if you ever need a follow-up episode or something you know i'd love i'd love to chat again sometime dude it's this has been a pleasure of mine because i have fucking loved your music for so long so this has been this has been a self-serving podcast. <laughs> that's okay. I think in some fashion, that's what a lot of podcasts are anyway. You might as well admit it. <laughs> Dude, thanks for doing this. And let's do another one. I'd so. love to. Anytime. Just let me know. Holy cow. That entire podcast was me trying to contain my inner fangirl. I love music that Jimmy has put out from Polar Bear Club to now his new stuff. Uh, Shy Tooth, his newest band, they're putting out a new album called Ultra Suede, and he was kind enough to give me permission to play their newest single, which is called Too Kind. So without further ado, here is Too Kind by Shy Tooth.
Thank you so much for listening to the show. The love and support that you guys show me is such a wonderful thing. From the text messages to social media posts, it's just a constant reminder of how many awesome people I have in my life. If you want to support the show, make sure you subscribe, follow, like the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with your friends and tell them what your favorite episode is. If you think yourself or someone you may know would be great on the podcast, reach out to me and we can make it happen. I love putting these out and getting a chance to talk to so many interesting people is so incredible. So thank you for giving me your time, and I appreciate you guys more than I can put into words. I love you people very much.